We're live with JavaScript Air for the second to last time. That's right. This is the second to last show um, for indefinitely. Um, and today we're going to be talking about Yarn. Uh, this is episode 47, uh, meaning that this is our 48th episode because, of course, we started at zero. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, the Yarn package manager with some subject matter experts. Um, so I'm really excited about this show. Yarn is a pretty cool tech. And uh, yeah, so uh, before we get into things, I need to give a shout out to our sponsors who are super awesome and have supported this show. Um, so first, Egghead.io, the show's premier sponsor, has a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and more. Egghead.io is also the host of two free courses from Dan Abramoff. Uh, find them at egghead.io slash redux. And Friend and Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. Uh, find them on friendandmasters.com. A uh, special shout-out to them. They did just um, add a cool thing for their subscribers. Uh, they used to have like the workshops be separate from the subscription. Now uh, the workshops are totally free for um, all subscribers, so there's no fee for the tickets. Um, and you, as a subscriber, you also get early access to like the, the raw footage um, from the uh, workshops as well. So yeah, that's pretty sweet because I actually have two courses that you could go watch right now if you're a subscriber um, that aren't technically released yet. So that's fun. Um, so check that out. And uh, TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And uh, I noticed last week Tyler McGinnis had a little bit of a hard time saying telemetry timeline, which was hilarious to me because I had a hard time learning how to say that word too. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so we do have uh, the like the fact that this is a live show, and so if you're on Twitter, go to um, Twitter, and if you have any questions uh, with the hashtag JSRQuestion, you can ask them, and uh, we'll go through those at the end of the show. Um, and then. We do have a show that's going to be like a half hour after this one, uh, which will be the grand finale with Brendan Ike. It's JavaScript in the web platform. Um, so that will be super fun. Um, and as always, follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to ignore Facebook and Google Plus right now. Um, <laughs> I don't really uh, look at those a whole lot for uh, this show. But uh, yeah, um, Twitter. Um, will still be a good place to follow JavaScript Air, even though the show is technically ending, because if I start it up again, that's where I will start tweeting out stuff. So, um, yeah, don't unfollow JavaScript Air. Um, so, yeah, sweet. Let's, uh, let's get into things, introduce people. Uh, first, we have Yehuda Katz. Hey. And uh, then, oh, shoot, I didn't even practice your name. Um, Konstantin Raif? Konstantin Raif. All right, awesome. I wasn't like way too off. <laughs> Thank you for coming. <laughs> and then Sebastian McKenzie. Hi. And Christoph Poer. I, I don't know how to say your last name, Christoph. <laughs> Christoph, how do you say your last name? Oh, it's Poyer. Poyer. Okay. I wasn't like way too off. <laughs> <laughs> I pronounce it Persia. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Let's let's get to know you all um, really quick before we start talking about Yarn. Uh, Yehuda, do you want to give us an intro to yourself? Sure. Um, Yehuda, I work on a lot of things, including uh, most recently Ember and um, work on the Rust core team. And I got into Yarn after doing both Bundler and Cargo and feeling like 
there were th lessons that we could learn from those ecosystems to make the NPM situation better. Fantastic. Thank you. I, I love when uh, uh, people with a lot of really great different perspectives and experience uh, come onto the show. You bring a lot to the show, so thank you. Um, all right, uh, Kastanin, or Kastantin, yeah. Uh, I work at Facebook uh, on React Native uh, builds tools, uh, and uh, dealing with node modules was a big issue for quite some time. That's the reason why I joined Yarn Project. Uh, here I am. Awesome, thank you. Uh, Sebastian? Uh, yeah, I'm a software engineer at Facebook, working on the JavaScript tooling team. I uh, previously started a project called Babel, um, and I started Yarn at Facebook after we ran into a bunch of entities dealing with NPM. Sweet. Yeah, solutions out of actual problems are the best kinds of solutions. So that's awesome. Although um, you mentioned Babel, and I'm pretty sure that was a solution out of an interest to learn JavaScript, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is taking a bit of a different starting point. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of a different project from the start, I guess. Yeah, totally. Cool. Kristoff. Uh, hey, um, so I most recently worked uh, on Jest. I've also been at Facebook for a while. Um, and um, now I'm actually moving to London, and we're starting a new team here. Um, we're going to take care of Jest and Yarn and React Native Packager. So, so that's really exciting. And Yarn is just an awesome project. And, and so far, I've, I've only helped um, getting it out the door, kind of, like for the open source release. But I'm excited to be more involved with the project. Awesome. So that's actually a, a great place to, to kind of start off. So um, Yarn is going to get a dedicated team, uh, and that team will also be uh, working on Jest. And what else will that team be working on? Oh, React Native Packager. Mm, cool. So can, can we talk about that for a sec? Um, sorry. Uh, so basically, uh, we're not just starting a Yarn team or anything. Um, so Yarn is not really a Facebook project, but we're still um, uh, adopting it internally, and we're trying to figure out how to make it uh, work really well for Facebook. But we're also trying to build up this community of external contributors, and then we're trying to, to figure out how we can uh, work well with um, the entire JavaScript community to, to build like the best uh, JavaScript package manager. Fantastic. Awesome. So that was like a little bit of a, a detour around probably where we should have started. Uh, so sorry about that. but. Let's, uh, let's get an idea of what this Yarn thing even is. Uh, so if people haven't seen the blog post, I'll, I'll add a link to uh, that in the show notes. Um, but does anybody want to give us a, a quick um, idea of um, why Yarn was created and then what it is? I wouldn't mind jumping in, but I think Sebastian will probably have things to add after that. Um, sure. I, I can't speak to why it was created because I was not there. Uh, so I think there are two ways to think about why Yarn exists. One of them is Basically, everyone will have a story that everyone who's working on it will have a story that approximates. I, I was working on an actual node project, and I noticed that npm was taking my team or myself some number of hours per day or week, and I figured, oh, we could do, we could do better than that, and maybe there's a solution for that. So I think, in terms of why Yarn exists, it's basically just to build, bring some best practices about how to reduce the cost of package management into the node community. Um, in terms of what it does technically. It sort of does the boring stuff that a lot of other ecosystems have done. It uh, makes your Sebastian actually has done some stuff in Yarn that are that are better. Like I think focusing on security and checksums earlier is not actually so ubiquitous outside of um, Yarn. But uh, just making sure that when you say Yarn install and you hit enter, 
uh, you get a predictable output. I think people, uh, perhaps if you're, I guess everyone watching this is from the JavaScript community, but if you're not from the JavaScript community, it can be easy to miss the importance of that because you probably have it already. But basically saying, yarn install, hit enter, um, there's some manifest that represents the last thing that happened and you get the exact same results every single time you hit enter, no matter what. And the, of course, if, you, if you're getting the exact same results, the process of actually figuring out what you need to put, uh, put on your computer is a lot shorter. Right, so I think those are the those are the big picture things that you get very very strong predictability across machines, environments, etc., and you get much better performance because you're not spending time figuring out what to install every single time. Cool. So Yarn is basically a replacement for the npm client, but not the npm registry, right? Yeah, I think that's super important. Is that the <clears throat> the Yarn uh, client it assumes that everything about the Everything about how people use packages, that includes things like Git packages, uh, npm link, um, thing, uh, things, uh, things in the registry, scopes, um, some you know, private registries in your company. All those things are how people use packages in Node, and those things should keep working. Um, so Yarn doesn't, I mean, my company is very small. It's only you know, six people, we, but we use Ember. And we were able to adopt Yarn more or less the first day it came out, because Yarn doesn't change anything about how Node works or how the registries work, it just changes how the things get installed and put on your computer. Very cool. Actually, Yehuda, um, maybe you'd have something in addition to, to speak to you on this, but if I understand correctly, the um, many other package managers uh, don't work the way that, uh, like, the um, or, or, like, dependency management doesn't work the way that Node dependency management works. Uh, with Node, like, everything's local, but it... Like, and I could be totally off because I haven't really been in other ecosystems. But if I understand correctly, it's more of a global thing for lots of other uh, um, like systems. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't agree with that, but I understand why people think that. So, uh, sure. There's. So I just gave a talk actually um, at RubyConf Portugal about this topic, and I separated package managers into local and global package managers as a term. Um, I basically any package manager that works like and yarn install, bundle install, cargo build, anything like that, I call a local package manager. They some, a lot of them don't put the actual packages physically into your directory, but the decision about which packages to use are always based on a manifest and a lock file that is physically in your directory. Um, the main benefit that other package managers get out of that is that you don't have to copy so many files, which I think Sebastian can talk more about, but is actually a dominant cost in, in the NPM install process. So I, I think that's... That's not as different. I think that is pretty different across ecosystems is duplication. Um, so, for example, Bundler, which is the first package manager I built, doesn't support duplication at all, which has some benefits, actually. Um, Cargo, which is the second package manager I built, allows duplication just like NPM. So I have to sort of figure out how to make the Bundler model uh, make sense in uh, Cargo. And Sebastian, when I pinged Sebastian originally to get involved in the project, I sent him, he'll probably confirm, a big list of questions that was basically like the, the uh, torture memo, right? It was basically like, here is the list of, I need you to go through and answer a billion questions about how things work. And he already had gotten on the right, on the right page about all this stuff. I was pretty shocked. Um, basically, Sebastian's good at programming, it turns out. Um, <laughs> But, but I think basically what I'm saying is duplication or non-duplication is a, a real difference between ecosystems, but Node is not unique in duplicating. Cool. 
Uh, Sebastian, did you want to uh, talk about any of those things uh, you hit was mentioning? Um, not really. I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, as I guess why it was created. So I guess so internally we've kind of had a lot of Constantine can also uh, talk more on our particular set of problems that we have. But particularly inside of Facebook, we have a lot of engineers who are working on like JavaScript projects, and so reproducibility is kind of like a really is like one of several really big things that we really care about. So actually being able to have consistent builds across developer machines and like really matter. If you have, if you have like a team of like 20 people working on a mobile app that's in JavaScript, then like a difference in dependencies can like introduce like really bad bugs or just like completely break the environment where they can't even work. And especially when the app is actually pushed to production, it's kind of really hard to you, you obviously want like your the development that you're developing in to be as close to the production one as possible. And uh, the existing NPM client kind of has some weak quirks around how that works. Um, there's also a lot of things like we us wanting to check in our own node uh, node modules folder and then like our node modules being too big for version control, so needing to like split that into like vendor tables that are extracted uh, really helps like version control size. Uh, and I guess there's yes, so around performance as well. So we've got like a lot of dependencies. Uh, as our dependencies grow, we obviously don't want the performance of our package manager to grow exponentially. Um, and just having more like fine-grained control over like the restrictions that we place in our dependencies and where they are and um, yeah. So, so and the NPM, the NPM client didn't really allow this. So in order to kind of fix these problems, we, we kind of needed to create a new thing, especially since our the workflow for using Yarn is quite different from using NPM. So it's based around this lock file, which means that you constantly get like the same thing. This is kind of like a really big deviation from the existing NPM workflow. And so the just the way that they currently like that they work isn't really compatible. NPM has a shrink wrap, but it's not really like a first class citizen. There's a whole bunch of issues around it. Um, and and it, it's kind of related to this second class citizen in the platform where it's kind of not so easy to use. It's not like the priority. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess that kind of yeah, has a bit of context. Maybe Constantine can speak to some other particular issues that we face. Oh yeah. Uh, for example, as for the number of builds we are making, uh, at Facebook we have a large mono repo uh, where we have thousands of commits a day, and it means that we have tests running ten, hundred thousands of times a day. And having uh, relying on network is not an option because sometimes things are down, sometimes things are deleted from network. Uh, so we definitely needed offline support. And checking in node modules was an option in the beginning, but as repositories grow, the size of node modules folder becomes unmanageable. It could be uh, 100,000 files, it could be 30,000, uh, depending on what NPM client you are using. Uh, and in the end, uh, we, tr we tried doing that, but it was unmanageable because of the performance implications. When you check in a large number of files, switching branches becomes really, really slow. Uh, so we came to a conclusion that we actually should check in the vendor packages, the ones that are downloaded from NPM. There is a lot less of them. And we actually tried to use NPM, original NPM client with that, but this feature hasn't been supported for a very long time. Uh, so we just needed 
a way to install from the vendor clients like if it was coming from the network. There are some solutions with original on-prem when you can build a small proxy server in your company. But the problem is that supporting this proxy server is actually quite an effort. Not many people wanted to own it. And having some dump storage where we could just check in, review them, and not worrying about ports being available or daemon running, uh, it's a huge time saver for us. Yeah, I, one thing that's pretty cool about how all these package managers work is that you almost get, so what Facebook is doing is, is interesting around vendoring, and we've been doing some similar stuff in Cargo uh, to help big companies like, um, like Mozilla itself with Gecko, which is basically a monorepo. Um, but one thing that's pretty cool for most people is that what, if you run yarn install and hit enter, um, and then go offline and run yarn install and hit enter again, that actually conceptually works inherently because of the fact that you, uh, the lock file is, you can check the lock file to see whether you have the local files present, and if you have the local files present, you're done. So the fact, obviously that's not, that doesn't solve everybody's offline problems 100% of the time, but it solves a huge amount of flaky connection, offline, et cetera, issues just by doing things in a more uh, consistent way. I just want to round this all up. Um, so, so Sebastian started working on, on Yarn um, for like the reasons that you mentioned, and then at the same time we were running. Constantine was bringing up um, on React Native in our big monorepo, and um, we were like building all these band-aids around like those issues we were facing, like shrink wrap, shrink. I cannot say that shrink wrap. Um, like uh, it's just uh, using JSON stringify, which doesn't uh, preserve the order. So it was like a ten thousand line long file, and every time we install a single module, it would like change 5,000 lines, and nobody could review that. So we built like a small script that would sort like the output in a shrink wrap file. We built a script to upload the entire node modules folder to our internal storage so that the CI systems can pull them down. We built all these like tiny little scripts, and we just realized that that doesn't really scale if we just try to like keep fixing those issues as they come, come up. And then um, like it, it all happened here in London. It, it's kind of nice that like uh, Constantine and Sebastian were both here, and then um, there are some people involved also in MPK, and then Sebastian started talking to a bunch of engineers at um, to Yehuda. Um, we were talking to the Exponent team a lot, and, and everybody was kind of uh, running into the, the same issue, and then we kind of just um, brought everyone together and then started like solving the solution, and that is basically what uh, happened, and this is like how Yarn was created. Um, and it's been working really well for us at Facebook so far. Yeah, and, and we, the Ember project also had sort of the same equivalent thing, like Basically, Ember has a CLI that everybody uses. So when people have problems with NPM, they report them as bugs to Ember. <laughs> so we've, we've had to do equivalent kinds of crazy uh, hacks. Like we vendor NPM as part of Ember to try to keep things consistent. Um, we, have, we built our own tool to add checking to make sure that the stuff that was in your node modules is actually what's in your package.json, right? And that we run every time you run Ember S. So there's all the, I think every, a lot of people who have, taken this seriously have done a huge amount of work to work around limitations that were caught taking a lot of time and indeed that's why like get, I got involved in yarn because when I I always knew that this these problems existed I was in fact interested in doing it on my own at some point but when I pinged Sebastian to ask him about the what I thought were the key questions he had the right answers so collaboration is great yeah that's Sebastian he's got all the right answers <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and uh, as a user of Yarn for the last little while, um, those answers were awesome. <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah, I uh, actually I'm kind of curious. Um, uh, Christoph, you mentioned that you were like writing a bunch of little scripts to kind of work around some of the issues with shrink wrap. Um, is there any reason why um, Yarn, and this kind of uh, applies more generally, like uh, a lot of people on um, like in the world are are wondering why um, Yarn wasn't just like a more collaborative um, thing to iteratively make npm uh, npm's client better. Is there any reason why these um, like little fixes that you and workarounds that you made uh, weren't just contributed directly back into npm? Um, so I guess I can answer this. Uh, so to start off with, there was a very iterative kind of thing. So I actually investigated like improving the npm client. The npm client is very like it's really unwieldy in terms of its code base. Um, to kind of get these things are just like hacks on hacks. Um, a lot of the the wrappers that we would make, like scripts around improving npm, would be like very specific, like to to Facebook infrastructure. So like uploading like the the node modules folder, we would have our own set of infrastructure that kind of like handles file storage. So in order to like make a more general and generic fix, like we like we couldn't have used the existing solutions that we had, um, and especially incorporating them into like an existing client that already has a lot of preconceived. Um, Kind of notions about how it's supposed to work is kind of really tricky since npm care a lot about backwards compatibility. Um, it's kind of and like the the changes that were made are very substantial. And in order to actually like convince a large project in order to like adopt all of these, like I, I think you could like make a massive list on things that have actually changed that uh, that different between npm um, and yarn. We've actually got a list like on the actual yarn website and how to actually migrate. Uh, a lot of these decisions have, have been deliberately made. Um, Due to like our experience and other people's experience with the um, npm client, and the yeah, so the most of the the reasons kind of come down to backwards compatibility. Um, the this the workflow is being fundamentally different and basing it around this lock file. Since uh, the npm client, like at its core, the, the non-determinism bug. Um, if you actually go onto the npm website, to so the docs is actually a uh, docs page that kind of describes the non-determinism. So it actually relies on install order, um, and and it kind of explains why this why why this behavior isn't a problem in practice. But I believe that a lot of people have actually like run into this where the non-determinism is an issue. Uh, reproducibility is like really important, and kind of not having the exact same like file structure, especially like from dependencies across like developers' machines, your production machines, or test machines, it is not like really ideal. Um, and I think the, the pain that people feel like that, that people can sympathize with in the morning as you go to work and the first thing you do is like you delete your node modules folder and you do a clean install and then you you know like you, you hope everything is still working and uh, that that's like something that's really common, right? Like something's going wrong with your dependencies, you just wipe away the whole thing and then you reinstall and, and that often fixes problems, you know. Um, yeah, so, so yeah I have I have an alias that actually does that for me. It's called Flush NPM. <laughs> yeah, the the, Ember, the whole Ember community has one called Nom, N O M, and it's it's, it's uh, npm cache clear and rmrf node modules and npm install. We also have Nom bomb, which does the same thing for Bower. But I I think what Sebastian just said is really the key set of the key set of things. I think the npm team is is not massive. They're all really busy. They have they do they have they do things like support node 0.8 which are all i think quite important things to do i think uh, the main npm client is way more concerned with backwards compatibility and 
and that's not a bad thing. I think it's really like there are people out in the world who have very severe compatibility concerns. And in fact, if the fact that not everyone in the world switched to Yarn on day one is, is it illustrates that, right? So basically, the npm client exists to be very compatible. As a person who works on Ember, and we have we have extremely strict compatibility requirements, I understand the trade-off. Or like I work on JavaScript also on DC39. There are the trade-offs of compatibility are very strict. Um, and in the case of npm, there were some foundational things that I think, in theory, could have been changed compatibly, but not without pretty compat pretty serious compatibility voodoo. And asking a team to do some pretty serious compatibility voodoo before you prove that the thing you're doing even matters is a pretty heavy ask. So, I, like, I think several of us have actually talked to many people on the npm team, brought up these issues. I talked to, for example, Forrest about a year ago about exactly all these things. And more or less what they say, and I think this is just reasonable, is, look, we're very busy right now. I don't think we can prioritize what they fix in shrink wrap, which is, is what they would say. I said that seems fine, and you guys are indeed very busy, and you have a bunch of, like, whatever, like, the things that your customers need don't necessarily align with what we need. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, that doesn't really say a lot about what the long-term story here is, right? So I think the goal of Yarn is basically to illustrate, to, sh to prove that the set of things that many people thought were important that the NPM team couldn't prioritize or didn't want to spend the, the like to figure out the compatibility voodoo for, prove that those things actually matter and work. And who knows, maybe at some point in the future the NPM team will have been persuaded by the proof and we will all, will all work together. It's hard to say. That, I, that happened with me and Merb and Rails, right? Back in, in 2007, 2008, I worked on a, a thing that was quite similar to Rails and the entire purpose of it was to prove that modularity in Rails was worth it. And eventually what happened was DHH said, oh, you, you've proved enough of that, you have enough users, and you've shown that it doesn't actually have too much conflict with the goals we all share, let's just work together. That, that can happen, but you, it's just a lot easier to prove your point without having to also deal with compatibility at the same time. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, I want to just point out again that we didn't like build this in isolation. Sebastian was like really active in like um, talking to people, and like as Yehuda said, that, he, um, that they were in touch the whole time, and then we were in touch with, uh, with Sam's account from, from Google, um, Paul Irish as well, and then um, the ex entire exponent team. So, so we were like collaborating with them and figuring out um, 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 what kind of issues they are also running into, and then like how we can, how we can solve all those. And, and also, I just want to say again that, that Yarn is not just like a Facebook project. Um, like we built this in collaboration, and we want to really focus on building up a, a community and um, figure out um, how we can support core from outside of those companies that um, have invested in Yarn so far. Um, yeah. Like, that's like really exciting as well. Like we have like more than 100 contributors right now, um, and, and that's that's pretty crazy. Um, it, it's only been three weeks or so since we open sourced this. Yeah, yeah I, think I, I just wanted to say on that topic that I think the Ember community, like one of the reasons I got involved was I didn't want um, Yarn to be yet like another thing that divides the community. I think the Ember community and the React community basically have exactly the same requirements here, and. Um, pretty, we're like the Ember team is pretty much racing right now to get Yarn the, to be the default thing that Ember users use, and I think the Ember community is pr a pretty enthusiastic and active community. And I would be, uh, I suspect that there will be a lot of contributions coming from the Ember community, Ember CLI team in the near future. Um, I one of the things that I really I give Sebastian a ton of credit for was when I first talked to him. Obviously, there were some technical considerations, but there was a bunch of just project structure considerations, like if Ember wants to contribute to Yarn, we need to make sure that there's an actual way for us to contribute that does not involve us having lunch at Facebook. 
right? And that I think um, Sebastian was extremely, uh, extremely receptive to all those things to the point where, like Chris and Sebastian and I, now after Yarn came out, are, it's easy for us to say that it's a community project with a community process. And I think people who worked on the people who worked inside of Facebook early on um, were, I'm like, I guess a lot of the artifacts are still in the repo comments that I made about it. But I think I'm, I give people who started working on it internally a lot of credit to do a lot of perhaps somewhat uncomfortable or difficult things during a period of time where the release was the thing that was in everyone's mind to get to the point where when we shipped, it was easy to see that it was a community project that anybody could contribute to. Yeah, it's really hard to, like, from the, kind of the inception, once, like, something is released that was previously in private, it's kind of really hard to wrap your head around the fact that it was kind of like a community collaboration. Um, and I guess, in a way, that was kind of necessary since this is kind of, like, disruptive. Um, and getting something, like, unreleased, like, unfinished out, whether, like, the vision, I don't know, like, using the word, wasn't really clear. Um, so, like, for example, we've talked to basically, this is, like, I want to emphasize that, like, as Yehuda, just Yehuda being here, it's kind of like, a, a, and his collaboration is kind of proof that we didn't really, like, develop this independently, or, like, at least develop for our own needs. Like, I think basically all the major frameworks kind of represented in a way. Um, for example, I went to Angular Connect and talked to Igor Minar kind of, like, on what Angular, their concerns are. Um, I went to Polymer Summit in London and talked to, like, a lot of the Polymer team about, like, particular issues that they have, and they'll also be adopting it. We've added specific features around kind of like all of their requirements around HTML imports and needing like a flat uh, module structure. Um, and these are concerns that the existing NPM planners like have been raised there for some of them for years um, and haven't really been prioritized. And actually getting these into the the NPM client is like a really it, it's really difficult, um, especially around just. Um, just around like the project kind of management and kind of the governance of it, um, ownership is super clear. And so uh, one of our priorities with Yarn is that everything is super transparent and the kind of decisions that we make, uh, it's very like clear for external people to contribute um, and kind of like have their voice be heard, especially if in the future, once we start rolling out kind of like more broad, like broad features. And then I, I just also want to say, um, there's always um, this like notion of like this turf war going on between all those projects, you know, like Yarn versus NPM, React versus Angular, Jest versus Mocha, and all this. And uh, that's something that always like sounds fun, you know, like and, and you can take sides, and like that's something where like people tweet about all the time. But that's not really what drives us or motivates to build those things, right? Like um, for for us, uh, we work at Facebook, and we want to build JavaScript tools that work well for engineers at Facebook, and when we get to uh, when we have opportunities to co collaborate with other people, then um, that's something that's really awesome. But we're here to like to solve the problems that uh, um, the uh, engineers at Facebook are facing, and then um, we're hoping always to can uh, to also solve problems that the JavaScript community um, uh, faces. So, so this is really what drives us and motivates us, um, at least besides me and, and like with all the engineers that I work with um, are usually driven by. Um, so, so it's not really about like. This like turf war kind of thing at all? Like we just want to like build really good tools. Yeah, I think Facebook's issues don't like exist in isolation either. I mean, like when you say like Facebook developing stuff that solves like Facebook concerns and then developing stuff that addresses like the JavaScript community's concerns. Um, I guess like Facebook engineers are part of the JavaScript community. Um, it's not like it, everybody here is kind of like from other companies has have have like a lot of prior experience and is involved like 
in the community. Um, so I think that when we have like solutions to our own problems, like that, basically it's almost certain that like other people face them. So I think it's important for this kind of collaboration to happen. Yeah, and I like per, I think between uh, so I work a lot with LinkedIn on their Ember app. Um, uh, part of my day job actually, and they a lot of the concerns that other big companies have are similar. I think Facebook is pretty unique in that Facebook actually does the heavy lifting sometimes to build new tools that need to exist, and I think that's awesome. Um, but most big company, the NPM situation was so cute, I think, for both big companies like LinkedIn and just big Ember projects that a lot of companies that really don't usually spend so much time building these kinds of tools, like nobody wants to have their own NPM. That's pretty ridiculous, right? But um, there was a lot of companies that had a lot of ad hoc tooling around NPM just to deal with basic, basic problems, basic workflows that a lot of people have. So, um, so I agree with Sebastian. The thing, the way that Facebook uses Node and NPM and React um, is not that different from how like LinkedIn uses Ember, uh, especially as your project size gets bigger. And I think, I think something we didn't say about Yarn yet, but I think is pretty great. So Yarn is a good NPM replacement for a lot of different kinds of projects. But really, I think Yarn shines when you're dealing with large projects. And I think that really NPM's attitude about large projects historically has been like, why are you writing a large project? And I think that was just, it was, and I'm not saying, this is not, I'm not saying there's anything, there's a lot of reasons why people have had different attitudes. I think when you're stuck with really hard technical problems, sometimes you rationalize, I've done it plenty in my own career. Um, but the bottom line is that actually trying, like having a place where we can all work together, who are working on projects that are not a small package, and actually deal with it, I think was a, is a huge improvement in the ecosystem. Wow, that was a lot of really great stuff. And I have like a million questions about all the things you all just said. Um, one thing that I, I wanted to touch on, uh, you were talking about the difficulties of uh, coming out from closed source to open source and, and still making it feel like it's a community-driven thing. Um, I was having a conversation with uh, Lee Byron a, a couple weeks ago at Strange Loop, and um, <clears throat> he, he mentioned that, and he gave a talk, actually, um, about uh, some of his learnings with uh, open sourcing GraphQL. Um, and and he kind of talked about this idea and and he at first I was like why don't we just always develop everything in the open like all the time and um, one of the things that he said that really kind of convinced me is is when you're building a giant or, or like a project that has huge implications um, like GraphQL or Yarn um, you can get really overwhelmed with um, support requests or or with uh, contributions uh, before you even really know what shape this thing that you're building is, is going to have um, and it can yeah it can overwhelm you and make it make it really difficult so uh, because of that when yarn came out uh, because of that conversation I had with Lee when yarn came out I was like oh yeah like I, I had no problem with the fact that it was developed um, in a more of a, like like not open source um, and, and then like open source to when it was fully formed well maybe not fully formed I'm sure it's still evolving but like when it was actually a practical uh, thing to, for people to use. Um, and so I think people um, should hopefully be able to understand that, uh, that a little bit. Um, it's, it's like a really, really um, like pivotal technology. In fact, just the other day, yesterday, I think uh, the stats came out that 3% of downloads on the NPM registry are coming from Yarn users. Which is really that's, incredible. That's actually an under, that has to be an understatement because Yarn significantly reduces the amount of downloads you need to do. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, Ryan Florence responded to the um, with with that same kind of thing, which is it's kind of funny. Like, because he's like, um, I think he graduated in finance, and so statistics is something that's like important to him. Um, but yeah, like it totally you you don't hit the NPM registry as much with yarn, which I think is pretty cool. Can uh, I so go back really quickly? Sorry, um, um, to what you just said about your conversation with Lee and about um, it being overwhelming when you release too early. Um, the case in point here is is actually the yarn release itself. Um, um, after the open source release, after 24 hours, we had 300 open issues. Um, we had about 30 pull requests, and then like uh, a bunch of people started. That was really awesome. And then we were just like completely overwhelmed. And, and at this point, I just want to give a shout out. Um, like the weeks leading up to launch, uh, James Kyle has been a huge help. He he built the website, wrote most of the documentation. We had Andres Suarez. He works at Facebook. He like helped us improve the startup time, flow types. Like he just got everything into good shape. Um, we had Daniel Lo Negro, also from Facebook, the, on the, working on the ads team. He built all the installers for Windows and Ubuntu, and um, then also the entire Facebook open source team that like helps with documentation and like getting projects ready. Um, all those people they supported us so much that we could even do it. And then we like open sourced it, and it was still too much, you know. Um, but yeah. <laughs> a shout out to all those people that, that helped so much uh, leading up to the release. I, I totally agree. I was pretty overwhelmed inside at how many, like, all the things you just said, like, getting installers is such a grunt work task, and I'm, I was pretty psyched that we had all that stuff on release. One thing that I, would, that I personally worked on a lot, if you look at my issues, I'm, I have, like, a combination of really detailed technical issues and um, governance issues. I think one thing that went really well for Yarn is that we spent some time before the open source release just to get the governance story. I'd, I, I wouldn't say that we've nailed it down perfectly yet. And I, governance is hard to nail down, period. But actually just having some open issues, having the RFC repository, um, this is stuff that I did. But basically having making it clear what the plan is. Because obviously when you go from closed source to open source, the, closed so the people working on the closed source project are 100% of the core contributors at that point. Um, we got lucky in that we already had people who weren't at Facebook working on the project, but I think it, it was re it's really important when you do that transition, and I've done it, I've tons of times worked on closed source projects that became open source. It's really important to stay right away, like we plan for this to be a community project and not just lip service, but here is the actual plan. Here is how people will contribute, here's how people add, uh, present ideas, here's how the core contributors will interact with the rest of the project, and hopefully the answer to that is core contributors and the rest of the project are on pretty even footing. Um, and all I think all that is also, in the same way that it's easy to forget to do installers, it's easy to forget to do governance. Um, and I think I think the way that we did that really proved the point that we were trying to make when we shipped. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I actually really love the governance, uh, like the fact that that was a big part of the release as well. Did you want to say something? Oh, yeah. I think one of the things that kind of made it like easy for me, not to be convinced, I, I actually didn't really initially think of governance. Yehuda was definitely like the, the main advocate behind it. Um, I think I was convinced really easily, mostly because of my experience like maintaining uh, Babel, um, just around like getting something sustainable that has like a dedicated um, kind of like contributorship. Um, that was like one of the things that I really regret about Babel, not like getting more people involved other than myself really early on um, and kind of like ruling it with an iron fist. Um, I mean, it, it feels good at first, but I kind of, I think it gets like mind and a lot of the, the satisfaction that you get like early on kind of begins to fade and the extra responsibility isn't, isn't really something that's manageable long term. Um, 
and especially it's just not good for the project period since uh, it's kind of hard to kind of get empathy for like a lot of different use cases so you kind of have to have more people involved. Um, so yeah, I, I mean being inclusive is definitely like a really big thing and uh, it, yeah, so I was really easily convinced that kind of like this governance model was the correct one or at least something more open um, would make the project more successful. Yeah, we already have an RFP, so the Ember community really needs um, Yarn to commit to being on the Node LTS schedule, and there's already an RFC from someone who's not me, uh, Nathan from LinkedIn, that's just like explaining what that would mean, what the details are, etc., and I've been talking to Seb about it a little bit. Um, but I think that's also pretty good, like you could imagine that if there was no RFC process, like what would he have to do? He would have to like find somebody, he would like go find someone at a conference, maybe he would open an issue, and in the normal project, the BDFL would be like, oh, we're not really interested in that right now, and then, then what? Right? And, but this is a real blocker for us. Like, we actually need, uh, we actually need to be aligned with the rest of the ecosystem in, in Ember. Um, of course, there are gonna, every one of these issues has conversations. There's already like tons of comments on that issue, and that's great, on that RFC. But I think that just letting people know, like, if you have an idea, there's a way for you to bring it to the attention of the core contributors without uh, without finding them in person, and there's a process for getting through that, so that doesn't involve harassing or creating campaigns or whatever other things happen in other ecosystems. I think that's just a huge improvement. Awesome. Cool. We've talked about a lot of really cool things, and I wish that we had more time because I have more things I want to ask about. So one thing that I think would be kind of interesting is to get an idea of how Yarn technically works. Um, so. If you go to like the Yarn homepage, there are like three big things that it talks about. It's ultra fast, it's mega secure, and super reliable. Uh, so if we, could we talk about um, how Yarn works uh, to make it those things? Also, you have, you have to call out. Sorry to interrupt, but you have to call out the the awesome um, artwork on the website that yeah. Kyle worked with watercolor um, to to make that happen. It's a very popular person. Uh, on the internet, so so those I, are. Really I believe you have just violated the code of conduct. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll we'll let that one slide. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess we can talk about the three different things. I guess like during our messaging, those kind of mean like the three things, which is uh, reliability, um, performance, and then security. So reliability or determinism. Um, so I guess I'll start with I, I kind of early in the show kind of like went over um, why determinism is important, especially in the context of having multiple people working on the same project in a lot of different environments. Um, security is also like a really big deal uh, and was really the initial thing that kind of um, seeded Yarn in a way. Um, so I was actually talking to Sam Sakone of Google uh, who was kind of going over how, um, and they eventually released a CVE of this. Uh, basically this is like a fundamental way of how NPM works where um, you have these lifecycle scripts where you can basically execute arbitrary commands. Um, and one thing that you could do is publish other packages inside of this. So you could do something, um, so when you install a package, it could go through and check, are you currently logging into NPM? Yes, you are. Um, I'm going to publish uh, every single package that you have permission to and add myself to it. Um, so you would basically have this thing where authors would then have all of their publish, uh, packages published with a new version of something, um, and it could just include an arbitrary payload that could do like whatever, install a virus, steal information. Um, and this is obviously like a really big deal or issue for companies. 
uh, especially who value privacy and security. And so one of the ways we kind of, we, we solve this in a few different ways. Um, one is that you actually have to like log in each time to like publish a new package and we don't actually like store the, the NPM login token. That's kind of like a hassle if you're in a CI environment, but we actually offer a way that you can then log into NPM and then save that token somewhere and then reload it. So like automating that is kind of like the same. Um, and, and mostly around, so the way to, determinism is also kind of like a big thing that goes into security since if you're constantly pulling in like new versions of packages, they could introduce whatever you don't really have a chance to audit those. So having this lock file kind of prevents this automatic updating. So even if in the existing ecosystem, if this hypothetical NPM worm would actually be a thing that would go through everything, if you had a yarn lock file, you wouldn't use like infected versions of something. Um, so and this kind of gets in the way of kind of making it as secure and reproducible as possible. And and to go back to the lock file, we actually hash of all the network toggles that you might use if you uh, use a git repo references a package, we will uh, store the commit hash and make sure we only ever restore back to that. Trying to add a bit more like network security. These are kind of like small things that a lot of like existing package managers do, but as you heard like alluded to earlier in the show, um, like this isn't kind of like it's this isn't something that everything does, especially not npm. So npm doesn't store the table URLs inside of your shrink wrap, and so it has nothing to authenticate that what the network actually gives you is what you originally wanted. Um, and going back to performance, I guess we're focused a lot on just parallelizing everything better. Um, I think NPM has an issue where it has like a lot of waterfalls. So what that means is that rather, say you have to install uh, five different packages, uh, it will store them one after another, and it will be blocking. So if one takes one second, the next takes one second, then it kind of like stacks on and everything takes two seconds. Um, but Yarn will like parallelize that and do them all at the same time. So five packages take one second each. They'll all complete in one second. Um, and this kind of allows you to exponentially grow like your dependency graph. And you obviously always have to pay a cost. But if the cost is like really small, then um, you can like basically stack onto that to like insane limits. Um, so I guess that I guess that kind of goes over the three things and kind of what we've done to address them and. Uh, NPM doesn't really solve those in a way that we think is acceptable. Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing to that, which is I think one thing that the NPM community really jumped on, and I think this is great, actually, the cargo community, uh, the Rust community has done a similar thing, is just argue that people should build small packages if the small package can be reused in some way. So I think the, the, the Rust community has done it, has gotten a little less extreme about it. Um, although I think there's a left pad package in, in the crate.io. But the basic idea that if there's more than one user for a thing, make it, give it a public API, ship it, version it, whatever. Um, but as Sebastian was, was pointing out, uh, NPM itself has problems with really big dependency graphs, and NPM rep uh, projects tend to have really big dependency graphs. Um, again, the, re the, the story here is a lot of times people, you know, I feel trolled sometimes by the NPM ecosystem saying, like, I opened up my node modules directory and I have so many packages. It's like, well, what do you think? That was the thing everyone told everyone to do, is to make a lot of packages, and everyone did that, so that's why we did that, right? And so I think we just and we have, we have a community that actually is pretty good at code sharing and code reuse, and I think that's great. Uh, there's still some things that we could do better. 
Um, but I think making the package manager good at doing things like parallel, like reducing waterfalls, doing parallel builds, compilations. Uh, sometimes, like when I say build, I mean sometimes there's like C code that has to be compiled in your npm install, right? Sometimes your pre-publish uh, hooks are actually downloading things from the internet. So basically, being able to do a lot more things in parallel means that you could do the thing that the npm community and the Rust community both believe in, which is make a lot of little packages without it becoming exponentially expensive. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so we just have a couple minutes left, and I, I want to ask about the future of Yarn. Um, so one, one thing that uh, I actually remember, Sebastian, a while back we were um, going back and forth on Twitter about, um, like, I, I made the assertion that, like, why would anybody ever use Bower? You can use NPM for everything. And one thing that you brought up that, um, <clears throat> that like, makes a lot of sense is Bower has, to, uh, like, uh, dependency resolution, where if there are two dependencies that conflict, it will ask you which version um, you want to use. Is that a feature that we'll see in Yarn at any time, any point? Uh, that's a feature that's already in Yarn. Actually. Oh snap! Let's hear, let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, so I think that the when I we had the discussion on Twitter, I, I believe I was like in the middle of actually implementing that. Um, so I, that feature was uh, developed in basically close collaboration with the Polymer team. Um, so they have specific requirements where, with HTML imports, you actually have to always know the location of a module or a file on disk. Um, so you can go and fetch it, since when you're in the browser, you don't really have this luxury of being able to do like a lot of like network or file requests, so you need to be able to resolve it in a, like, a, a, an absolute way. Um, so that, that's kind of why that feature exists. And so Bower, uh, when you have multiple versions of a package that share the same name, I will basically just like pop up a window that just asks, you have these several, could be several dependencies that um, all collide, they have the same name, they're of different versions, here are the ranges that, uh, that they're looking for, and say a, a package might depend on uh, jQuery 2.1.0, and another might depend on 2.2.0. Um, now it's most, more than likely that just depending on 2.2.0 will work like across all of it. Um, and this, and this kind of reduces like duplication, and especially is useful in a browser context where you actually have like global namespace where you're just like shoving everything. You don't like have anything isolated, um, like in the context of how Node has modules. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a really useful feature, especially for communities. Um, it's even kind of useful for for other projects that might not rely on these uh, Polymer HTML import semantics. Um, so yeah. yeah, one thing I'm pretty interested in, there's a really long open issue that I have about this. I'm really interested in making the flat, so the thing that Sebastian was talking about is like flat mode, which basically insists that there's only one copy. I usually call that thing the Highlander rule, for there can be only one. Um, and I'm really, I've been doing work in Cargo for a long time now, and I'm interested in Yarn in combining or unifying the flat mode and the non-flat mode so that, uh, in other words, I think doing a dependency resolution, it's just a hard problem, dependency resolution um, that is more like the flat mode or the bundler mode or the pol what Polymer wants, but still allowing duplicates as an escape valve, um, I think is a, uh, it's what we do in Cargo, basically. I think it's a nice, a nice feature. Um, the, the complexity of the problem is that if you reach a point where you're not sure 
if you're, so in Bundler, if you're doing a dependency resolution and you find a conflict, it's actually very easy what to do. You backtrack and you try another thing um, until you find a solution. In, uh, when you have, when you have uh, duplication allowed, you when you hit a conflict, when you say, this guy needs 1.1 and this guy needs 1.2, you basically have two options. You can either backtrack or you can just duplicate. And knowing whether you should backtrack or duplicate is just a new problem that, to my knowledge, no one has, no one has addressed directly in a package manager before. Um, so I have an open issue about this. People can read it. It's detailed. Um, but I'm, I think it's, I think there's a way to do, uh, I think there's a way to do what, one way to, like a very easy way to think about this is that I think you could imagine having like a subgraph that's flat mode, right? So like the whole, the whole repo is normally NPM, but for these, all dependencies below this point, it has to be exactly flat mode. It would be a thing that you might want to be able to say, but it would be hard to say unless you unify the modes in some way. Sorry, that was a bit rambly. No, no, that's, that's an interesting problem. Um, cool, so um, actually another Bauer related question. So um, can we now just use Yarn? Do we, uh, like, I know that the uh, uh, script community has been using Bauer exclusively uh, for some of their requirements, and, and I think the Polymer community uses Bauer. Um, can Yarn be a replacement for Bauer in those cases? Yeah, so we actually initially had uh, integration of compatibility with Bauer. Um, this is actually really easy in the Yarn client itself since it kind of like abstracts out um, things such as the manifest names. So it could internally it can support like multiple things. Um, so this meant supporting Bauer was quite, to start off with, it was quite easy since Bauer JSON basically follows more or less the same kind of standard, which isn't really a standard, it's just kind of. The, the standard of package JSON, so it's kind of like npm whatever npm supports, like the dependencies object, which loosely kind of the, the whole package JSON format that npm uses kind of loosely uh, follows the common common JS module package JSON format. Um, so this allowed us to add initially support for Bower, um, but but and for open sourcing we actually had Bower support. Um, this was initially for like compatibilities like the existing Bower projects. Um, but after open sourcing it, just there was a lot of issues just related to how it actually worked. Um, there's a lot of different ways in which Bauer kind of handles things, different config options uh, that NPM might have a parallel for, but we just don't like have the support to like kind of convert them. Um, and so we actually removed Bauer support uh, mostly around just like unifying how what the project is actually about, um, which is kind of around this same workflow. And I think it's quite difficult to support like these two different registries, um, especially since uh, Yarn is a much better replacement for NPM than it is for Bower, at least currently. Uh, and so, in, and so you run Yarn and so, and then you can just continue using Bower. Um, and I think a much more realistic, or at least more efficient way to kind of like replace this, uh, to at least replace like Bower in your projects, is add the features that people use in Bower to Yarn. Um, so this is stuff like the flat mode. It could even be in the future stuff like supporting um, SVN repos, um, which is a feature of Bower, um, Mercurial, and, and things like this. Uh, I think it's a much... Sorry about that, but somehow the um, Hangouts on Air like blew up or something, I'm not sure. But for the last like five minutes or ten minutes of the show, we didn't get any kind of recording at all. 
Um, luckily, most of that was just the tips and picks and sponsor shout outs, so you didn't really miss much. I should probably give quick sponsor shout out to our uh, silver sponsors. First, uh, thanks to React.js program. They help you master React and React Native. Find them at jsr.io slash reactjs program. And thanks to Hired.com. They bring job offers to you. Find them at jsr.io slash Hired. Um, again, really sorry about uh, missing the tips and picks and things. Um, go to the show notes for the show to uh, find those. And uh, that's it. Thanks.